Hello, you are listening to Learning in Tech, a podcast where I talk with developers about their unique journey into tech, their lessons, successes, failures, and everything in between. I am your host, Fabio Pozzano. Today I'm joined by Kurt. He's a full-stack developer turned uh, DevRel working at Apollo. You co-host uh, Full-Stack Health Podcast. You're a technical writer, mentor, just some conference talks and fellow streamer as well, which let me just say that I love how your stream looks like. And um, I think we started more or less the same time on Party Corgi and your stream just went like... <laughs> so congratulations on that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Although I do feel it's a bit of an unfair competition because I stream for Apollo. So, you know, I've just been doing like monumental amounts of streaming as of late. And my uh, personal channel just like gets updated as, as a byproduct. <laughs> which, which makes sense. Which Let me ask you, did you do the design for the Apollo streams as well? I know you were doing something uh, yeah. with it. Yeah, it looks so yeah. good. <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. Thank you so yep. much. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did the, the designs for it. Uh, well, myself and Trevor Blades did the first iteration, and then it just kind of grew from there. As I learned mm -hmm. more things about how we were going to use the platform, it kind of evolved over time. Yeah, and one thing that I want to do is what you do. You automated your whole... How do you call social it? Cards. When, social cards, yes. And I said, like, I need to try to do something like that as well. And it's been like on yeah. backlog for ages. So I need to try to do that. Yeah, well, uh, hit me up anytime. Be more than I will. Uh, happy to show you how I did it. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's pretty clever, uh, makes life a lot easier, but really shout out to all the tools, you know, that make it possible mm. because it's mostly just like Google Calendar, Zapier, Pipedream and Cloudinary. And you put all those together and you get automated social cards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you wrote a blog post about that as well. If I'm not mistaken, I yeah, think that's where I saw right. I um, your thing. Yep. I need to, I'm going to link that in the episode notes. So then if folks are interested, they can have a look at that. Just to get us started, if someone doesn't know what a DevRel is, what is a DevRel? <laughs> yeah, so that's funny because, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. It's actually, you're going to get a different answer depending on who you ask. It's mm -hmm. developer relations, developer experience, developer advocacy, community management. I mean, these advocacy and, and relations and all these things have existed in other parts of many different industries for a long time. They're often called different things like partnership programs and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's a different answer because it's new to tech and a lot of companies do it differently. A lot of people who have the title of developer relations or dev advocate also view the role differently. So I'm just going to give you my personal experience, kind of what I see as the the structure of it and, and the responsibilities, if you will, of these different uh, roles, if that's cool, mm -hmm. yeah. um, because, that, you know, it's kind of there. So I'm actually not like a DevRel. I work in DevRel. Developer relations okay. is, is the thing that I do. I'm technically a developer advocate. And under developer relations, to me, it really, there's kind of like a couple of different areas, the two biggest focus being community and then the dev advocacy, right? So at under developer relations, we kind of bundle both of those things. I do a lot of community stuff as well, but really my focus is on developer advocacy. Developer advocacy to me just at the end of the day means 
clearing pathways for developers, helping them be successful in the endeavors that they are trying to do. And it doesn't necessarily mean within a a path that includes the thing that you're advocating for. I just like helping people be successful. I feel like I'm doing well when the people around me are doing well. That's why dev advocacy is such a good fit for me. But yeah, that's kind of the the difference to me. And I would say like, you know, how mm-hmm. I view DevRel and dev advocacy. Yeah. And that's very powerful because I haven't seen such a great community, especially in Twitch, like the tech community. Everybody seems to be happy to just get together, help each other and just lift everybody spirits and i think that's also one of the reasons why i just sort of fell in love with streaming and the whole thing and like i said we started sort of the same time as well so it's very interesting you had a rocky road getting to where you are now uh do you want to (laughs) sounds like ice cream (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) which is actually my favorite ice cream but yeah (laughs) would you like to get us started with how did you get here Yeah, sure. So this is like always like a weird topic. People tend to like Mm -hmm. get a little, you know, weird around it, but like, it's cool. I haven't talked about this for so long. So uh, what we're referring to is how I discovered tech and I discovered tech taking a course while I was incarcerated in North Carolina. I served about six and a half years in prison. I suffered really bad from depression, drug addiction, just a lot of stuff, you know, drug addiction led me to a lot of bad decisions, which led me to prison. When I got sentenced, I realized, you know, like I just lost like uh, at least half a decade of my life, you know, close up to seven years. And uh, it just, you know, hit me like a ton of bricks, call that my rock bottom. And uh, yeah, I was like, well, I'm going to dedicate every waking second in this place to bettering myself. So that's when I'm released. At least like I can say that I did everything I could to only be as far behind, you know, as like just to prepare myself as well as I could. Like, so my time wasn't wasted. I had already wasted enough years of my life. The fog from the drugs and in this in the past had cleared. And so it was just like, I had a much clearer picture of like what my life was actually like, you know, things I had done and uh, I wanted to do something better, try something different. I didn't know it was tech. That was not a thought mm-hmm. in my mind. I actually took a bunch of different types of training. So like, I have a welding certification, HVAC. I'm HVA certified. I can handle your refrigerant. So if you need need me to come handle your refrigerant, I got you. That Uh, always comes in handy. (laughs) Always comes in handy. When do you not need to handle? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but like plumbing, carpentry, all these different things. I had already worked construction before I got locked up. But, uh, you know, long story short is I took all these programs. I did all this stuff, but it wasn't until I was about probably four or five years into my time, I started getting into like computer classes. I was like, I should learn how to use a computer. And I went to a place that was offering them. So I took typing, I took you know, just like uh, how to use Windows Mm -hmm. and like Microsoft Office programs. Then I got into like networking and I learned about IT and and all that kind of stuff, uh, installing operating systems and stuff. And then I took uh, one that was a class that was called Intermediate Web Development or Web Design, one of the two. It was like in all caps. It's like pretty funny. I have the certificate. (laughs) I should should, uh, put it up somewhere behind me or something. But uh, yeah, so that was it. I took it. I uh, It was like, you know, I started uh, figuring out like how it worked. Like you create these HTML files on your computer and they work in the browser. We weren't allowed to have the internet. 
so we just had to work with like HTML, CSS, and uh, JavaScript that worked on our on our computers uh, without mm-hmm. any internet. But I was blown away when I made that first like H1 tag. That was the first thing I did. No HTML tag, no nothing. It was like an H1, uh, and it was the standard like hello world. And I saved it and I reloaded the browser. And when I saw that there, it was like this light bulb went off, like this epiphany. I was like, like, I felt like uh, Keanu Reeves when he like comes out of the matrix and he's like, I know karate (laughs) or whatever he says. I was like, I know the internet. Like, I just like, it it started to dawn on me how it works. Like it's just files and you just transfer the files back and forth between computers and computers know what the fudge to do with them. Sorry. I don't know like what the, the. Uh, that's all right it's good yeah so yeah so i was just blown away by it blown away absolutely hooked i i you know took any class related to computers i could get my hand on i started ordering books but i had no no guidance my mm. teacher didn't know anything about it they just had the the school book they were doing this for extra money you yeah. know as a side job they weren't even a web developer or designer they were like a like an accountant or something but they were like teaching these extra courses also back then the profession wasn't really like this is what you can do to become one people were just finding and figure out where they could go and yeah i remember i think this must have been the time when dreamweaver was popular right actually it was just getting out the edge of dreamweaver a little bit more uh into that so we're talking i got out in 2010 so we're at like Mm. 2007 2008 somewhere around there i don't know it's all blur but yeah so just trying to figure this stuff out like i'm ordering books on like xml like i hear about xml and some other book or something i'd buy a book on it it was so hard to get books. Like you have no idea what it's like to get stuff in there. I had no money. So I would uh, do tattoos and sell artwork. Like you draw pictures on envelopes for people to like send like their wives and girlfriends and family mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that's how I would make money. And then I would save that money up and then buy books on web development. And that's kind of like how I discovered it. So that was a hustle to try to get money just to get the resources so you can learn, which I think, yeah. Props to you, because when you're in that situation, it's very easy for you to take the bad route, if you know what I mean. It can be tough. Yeah, yeah, it could definitely be tough. Prison is college for criminals. Um, Yeah. That's like legit. But there's a lot of people, you'd be amazed. I mean, majority of the people who are in prison don't want to be there and don't want to be criminals. So it might come as a surprise to a lot of folks, but a lot of people go to prison not because they're like, you know, uh, villains you see in movies. They're everyday people who end up in bad situations for God knows what reasons. A lot of times systemic reasons, if we want to get real about it. And yeah, so that's something that we want to take a, into account when we talk about like prison and people who are in prison. But yes, if you want to learn how to commit crimes better, go to prison. Yeah, but then as well, I'm sure you're going to mention that as well, but when you are in prison for the first time, you already have a criminal record. So then when you come out, everybody's like, do you have a criminal record? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, this door is closed for you. And then doors keep closing. And then it's very easy for you to like, well, if I can't get an opportunity to do something better, then you need, you still need to survive. Right. So it's, that's why people, sometimes they tend to going back to prison because all the doors close yes. and um, I actually I grew up in a poor neighborhood in Portugal and a lot of my friends they took a bad turn and 
when they came out, they said the same thing. It's like, well, okay, I want Honestly, to get good. better. And they said, yeah, but you have criminal records, so I don't want you. And yep. it's tough. How was that yeah. search for your first job? Did you decide it straight away? Yes, this is what I want to do. I want to be a web developer and I want to create websites. Yeah, no, I definitely knew that I wanted to be a web developer. As far as how mm -hmm. the job search went, it did not go well. It took me about, so I got out January 2010 and I got my first job around start of 2000 and end of 2012, I want to say. Mm -hmm. So it took me like two full years to get my first job in tech. Uh, if you count when I started learning development, even though I was incarcerated from when I started learning <laughs> development until I got a job is close to five years. Yeah. So it was very hard. And that's the thing. So I want to just touch on what you said a little bit before about how people, you know, they're not able to get jobs and they go back and like lack of support upon release is the, that combined with unmeetable restrictions in parole is 90% of recidivism. And while prisons offer training programs and stuff, it's just as you mentioned, when you get out, you know, there's there's this whole movement against like removing the checkbox. And that checkbox is, is where it asks, have you been convicted or released from prison, like convicted of a felony or released from prison within the last like X number of years. And yeah, checking that is a surefire way to not ever even get a call. So what I realized quickly was I just checked no. Uh, and then I can get the job because they don't do the background check before they hire you. First, they hire you. Then they do the background check. It's very weird. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I'd get jobs. And this is like everywhere. It was actually easier for me to get a job in tech than it was at McDonald's. Like I literally could well, okay. not get a job at McDonald's or some places. McDonald's is actually a lot better with us now. But yeah, when I got out, I couldn't get a job there. I never got called back for McDonald's. So I started checking no. And then, yeah, I'd get the job and then they would run a background check. It'd be like two or three weeks would go by and they'd be like, oh, hey, like we have to let you go because we did a background check. And they're like, oh, we, you know, we wish you would have, you know, not lied about it because you're such a hard worker and you do so great. You're like one of our, our best employees and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, when I check no, you don't call me back. So I'll take my yeah, check. Exactly. Like, now, <laughs> don't worry. I've already applied to 15 other places. I have two other jobs lined up that are going to fire me in a few weeks too. So that's what I would do. I would just hop from job to job try to take on freelance IT and web development work when I could. And then, yeah, just kind of like did that until I landed my first full-time job. Mm -hmm. That was actually my, my question. If a freelancer could be a way for folks, if they are in the same situation as you, if it could be a way to go by that, because after you have a few years of experience, your college degree, mm -hmm. university degree, whatever, doesn't matter that much. So you have the experience, so then people might not care so much of what you know exactly in, on paper. You know, you do understand what I mean? Absolutely. So I'm actually working right now on a uh, nonprofit organization that's going to offer training to inmates mm -hmm. uh, post-release to teach them web development and freelancing. Yes, freelancing is the big missing piece here and the key that I wish I had known about earlier um, when I was trying to to find work, it, it it does a couple of different things. One, it provides you with, it fills the time gap. So when you come out of prison, you just have a, a time gap. 
It gives you that history, right? Like you have this big time gap. I had an empty resume for seven years. So I would put things, you know, construction or freelance work and stuff. And then, yeah, I would do some work, build a website for a friend and put it on there as freelance work, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, like it, it helps you build a resume. It helps you build income while you're trying to do this, but it's still hard. It's like a hard world. I wouldn't have known where to start or how to freelance. And like when you're working for yourself, there's a lot of things, you know, you might not know about taxes and all that kind of fun jazz and how to deal with that, how to like watch out for red flag clients and stuff was things I didn't know. I'd get like caught up with these terrible clients that would suck all my time and energy out of me. So the goal is to to provide four months training, two months freelance training, and then, you know, just like a community for yeah. these folks. Yeah. That that's his brilliance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, well it's if I can get it going, it's hard. It's taking time, but I'm working on it, working steady at it. But uh yeah, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, freelance is one hundred percent a huge help. I'm sure that uh, all the bureaucracy and all the paperwork and all the politics that you have to go through to get that sorted it's just a pain in the bum <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah and i yeah. going back to the freelancing even now you can go on google and look how to do stuff it's still not clear for a lot of folks and you can go into this rabbit hole with all right. sorts of tips and advices on how to get it started yeah. but it's what you say it's all these red flags on the clients uh, doing a job and then you don't get paid and the yeah. whole dealing with clients is, is tough so when you came out and you had access to the internet and any resources that you could get your hand on how did you got into that all right i know this stuff but i need to learn all of these other things so how did you fill up your gaps? Good question. So I didn't know, like even still coming out and having access, just in, inherently just having access to the internet doesn't fix the problem at all. As a matter of fact, it made it worse because then I just realized how fucking much information was available about web development, mm -hmm. but I had zero idea what a PHP was or when I would use it compared to a jQuery or like, I didn't even understand that one's for cl the client and one's for the server. Like there was still a lot of learning left to do. And I just kind of struggled my way through it. I just started trying to build things, mainly a portfolio website. So I, that's why I started with front end stuff. I kind of worked from there backwards, you know, and yeah, it was, it was a long painstaking road. A lot of it self-guided. Eventually I found Twitter and started following certain people and like, but it took a long time for me to find Twitter, unfortunately. Mm. Like, I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. Yeah. I understand that completely even because you can get so overwhelmed with all the information and then we are in the JavaScript world, right? At every single almost day, you have a new framework or a new thing coming out and say, this is yeah. what you need to use now. It's like, come on, I'm just finished off learning something that now everybody's saying that it's obsolete, but not really. <laughs> so it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's hard to try to find this path and say, this is all you need to do. Uh, but I think you, your way is probably the best way to do it is just try to create your portfolio, work your way back and say, okay, I need to, or I want to create a website that supports, yeah. I don't know, a chat service or something. And then you start thinking, this is how I do it. And you start researching what you need to learn. And 
I think in my case, doing projects is probably the best way for me to learn. Each person has a different way to learn, but it's when you get stuck and you have to unstuck yourself. That's when things start falling in place. Did you have um, anyone that helped you as well? Or was it just self-taught and that's it? In the beginning, it was uh, pretty much 100% self-taught. I didn't really have anyone to help me. I didn't know anybody else who was into web design or web development. I did start going to school though for it. So like when I got out, I did realize that the things that I was building weren't great. So I actually went and took some college classes for web design or web development. Like the things I was building weren't good. So I went for web design and I met some other people who were like building some stuff, but they were like, honestly, you know, pretty much at the same level uh, that I was at, which was like, we could make sites with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, PHP, like, you know, using like WordPress or something like that. Like we knew how to like do that, but I didn't really have anyone who knew the tech industry. And so I, I want to touch back to, which is like, you mentioned how JavaScript just in and of itself is like an endless pit of choices. Yeah. When you're new to technology and you don't know the difference, like that's already siloed. So it's that bad and you're already focused on something, front-end development, right? Like for the most part, yes, you can do JavaScript, I know, server-side mm -hmm. and anywhere. <laughs> but like most people come to it in most cases from like the, the front-end perspective. But yeah, it gets even more confusing. Exactly. So I can even use it for server-side. But when you're very new to tech as a whole or web development, you know, you don't know, I could pick Python or Ruby and like eventually those things lead me to HTML and CSS, but like, it's just too many options. It's very overwhelming. Yeah. I, and I think my, my point there is just that like, it was very frustrating and a very hard couple years from the research that I had done. And one, I just loved it, luckily, but not everyone's in that position. I love development, it was, you know, I still do, but not as much as I did that. And that's, but uh, long story short is that it, it's a very tough road. And I think a lot of times we like kind of skip over that. It's really freaking hard to learn how to program. And so I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm ranting here, but like, it just like fucking gets me up to a thousand when I see people tweeting shit that's like, you know, just keep your chin up and like, just keep going. Cause it's like, I'm so lucky I had some support because I would have never made it. It was like the hardest three years. It was harder than three years that I did uh, when I was locked up than the worst three years. The first three years I were locked up were like a nightmare. And this was in so many ways, so much harder. So for all of y'all out there who might see this and are coming into tech and like, it's not easy for you or you don't like it, but like it can change your life, but yeah, it's fucking hard. So it's really hard for me. It's still really hard for me, no matter what you might, you know, see or think. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Definitely. And it's what is exactly what you said when you see these tweets about that. Oh yeah, it would be fine. Just keep out at it. When you are yeah. stuck on a problem and you keep being stuck on a problem, you just think, man, I suck at this. Why the hell do I do yeah. this to myself? So yeah. when you're a beginner um, and if you don't have anyone to help you, it's it's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. Yeah, um, I would watch video tutorials of someone using some jQuery plugin to do this thing. And I swear for God, I would pause every second of the way, their code, my code their code, my code, and that shit will not work no matter what. I can't get it. I have no one to help me. I'm Googling. I'm coming up with nothing. I'm so mad. 
so mad. But sticking with it and then finally figuring out what it was and you're like what oh i can't believe it and then like you know but that's that's programming <laughs> yeah. that's why i always say if someone wants to get started with tech or if they are starting their journey into learning to become a developers it's a good idea to look and watch some tech streams because when you're consuming tutorials uh, courses videos the product is already done. You don't see the struggles. So you just, yeah. when you're looking at a, a course, you assume that, oh, for this person, it's very easy, but I am struggling. So why the hell is so easy for this person and it's not for me? Yeah. And then when you go to tech stream and you see the, the streamer getting stuck on the same things as yeah. you, you were like, oh, okay. So that's all right. I can be stuck as well. It's just not me that I am bad. And I feel that this really helped me as well with my imposter syndrome because I used to be like, okay, I don't have a CS degree. I'm learning on my own. I I still yeah. don't exactly know my path. What do I want to do in tech? I, I, know, I know I want to do something with code, but what I haven't figured out yet, which was actually someone on an interview, the interviewer asked me, so what do you want long-term? And I was just like, um, I don't know, maybe full stack. I have no idea. I don't know. And that was <laughs> the wrong the, the wrong answer to give. But, you know, it's, yeah, see other people struggle yeah. and you say, okay, it's it's all right. I can I can do this as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's worth noting that in my eyes, there is a, a place in the world for both of those types of content. So I like happy path content that gives me the high level. Like I watch egghead videos all the time. I really feel like it'll help me kind of get familiar, if nothing else, learn terminologies, get used to kind of seeing what it looks like. But yeah, that's why I'm such a big fan of live streaming. That's why live streaming was something that was important to me at Apollo as well. I also enjoy seeing people take the sad path. Like I like people seeing me hit issues with Apollo technologies as like a senior engineer which is like the most contextual term in the whole world because there's a lot of shit that i'm not very senior at at all you know like a senior engineer uh advocate for apollo hits issues with apollo's like blades and i uh trevor blades whenever i say blades i'm talking about my coworker trevor we were doing a stream together and we did this joking like speed run how fast could we set up apollo client well by doing that we rushed through something and we spent 40 minutes not being able to get subscriptions to work right because <laughs> we accidentally didn't capitalize an s in like the string subscription and you know but like people need to see that because like that will never be seen in in a finished product. Uh, like a video, a finished product. Right. And the other thing I love about it too, is like when I'm trying to figure something out, a lot of times someone in chat will say that they've also experienced this issue. And so like, it's also a good way to surface conversation with people to figure out what are the problems that they're hitting? Cause as I mentioned to me, dev advocacy is about clearing pathways, but how do you know which pathways to clear? Right? Like, cause I mean, technically lots of people are going to, struggle in different ways right so it's about but i am only you know one person or we're only a team of people so it's like what do we fix that's going to open that pathway for as many developers as possible so it's like a constant game so i need to know that's why i have to be the places where people are talking about these things i need to see what the biggest problems people are facing are but yeah streaming is a, a big help for that
why did you start streaming? Because we started at more or less the same time. The reason why I started was I joined Party Corgi and everybody was creating content. And I was like, ah, this streaming thing seems cool. I want to do something with that. And that's how I got started, just sort of as a joke. And I just kept on going. Uh, how about for you? For, for the reasons that I just stated, except it wasn't mm-hmm. for Apollo, I was at AWS. Okay. I wanted to start streaming there to talk to the community, grow grow the community, you know, see how people are using Amplify, create content about it. You know, there's a bunch of reasons why streaming is very beneficial for especially like a tech company or someone, you know, who like has a product that is constantly being innovated on and stuff. You know, creating content is hard. And when you look at things like podcasts and, and blog posts and polished video content, the the amount of work that goes into that smaller bit of content is a lot. There's a, uh, or, or giving a talk, let's add giving a talk because a lot of people, you know, this is dev, DevRel, dev advocacy as a whole. Giving a talk, that's actually, to me, giving a talk probably has the least amount of return on investment. I like conferences, but I feel that there are better paths for awareness if that's the goal. Giving a talk is an awareness goal. It's spreading the word, right? Uh, And I feel there's just better, better avenues because of the amount of effort that it takes to prepare a really good talk. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a really lot of work. I feel like I could get the same amount of benefit out of something shorter, like a stream where we focus on that same subject, but maybe it includes another person, which is more engaging, or like we live code something or something like that. It still exists. I could put it onto YouTube. Its value does not end when the stream ends. Also, another thing that I love to do is cut clips from my streams of like very useful things, like setting up Apollo clients. It's one thing that you do within a stream. So you can create more polished content from a stream as well, but it's about the return on investment. Again, I want to help as many developers as I can. And streaming allows me to create content across a wide variety of topics, oftentimes pull out little reusable clips that are useful to everybody for other things and grow community at the same time. Events, I think, are still very good and valuable. I just think for a dev advocate, giving talks is not as beneficial. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather empower someone in the community to give a talk at an event, build that relationship, as well as just lift somebody up and and help them out. So yeah, you know, it's just, and again, that's just my opinion. Everyone has, has, has different opinions on what's valuable. I just don't you know, weight those as high. But yeah, I I weight streaming pretty high because of all of the different things that it lets me do. We run two to three, sometimes four streams a week. You can't give that many talks a week. You can't, Mm -hmm. you know, create that many polished videos a week. You're just not going to be able to get that cadence. And the stream is a bit more forgiving because if you make a mistake, it's all good. People expect that. And like you said, you have, yeah. And you have the chats where people can ask questions, people can help you. The interactivity is just better. Um, Way better. CU Oreo said that I kind of feel like I don't get a whole lot of technical conference talks since they move so fast. And she likes uh, watching stream better for technical stuff, which is true. I find it as well, especially now that all the conferences move to remote. So everything is virtual conferences now because the whole virus situation. And I've watched some. And even if I sit, let's say, eight hours watching talk after talk, maybe the first half an hour, it'll stay in my head and all the others, you're just watching, yeah. like you're watching TV, you're just switch off very easily. Whilst if you are watching a stream, you can ask questions, you can interrupt, the retention is, is better. 
And again, yeah. you see the other person making mistakes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and I do want to say too, though, like I do really like talks, but I agree. I think the real technical deep dive talks are hard for me. I like them for the high level stuff, though. They're really cool just when someone's like, this is like a new technology and here's kind of the things that you can do with it. And like, you know, that more high level stuff, I do like it. And I think there's a place in the world for talks for blog mm-hmm. posts, for streams, for polished video content, and ideally having them all, like documentation also, right? All of these things ideally exist, you know, that's very hard to get to, right? You know, that's the goal. Because now you now you are covering all of the different types of learners, because it's really kind of what it boils down to, is people have different, you know, ways they like to learn and absorb information. And that might even change depending on the subject matter. Like uh, Siora said, for deep dives, much better for a stream, but who knows, maybe, you know, she likes blog posts better for other things, right? Like it's, it's about trying to meet developers where they prefer to get content. And, and so our job should be to be talking to our community in particular and figuring out, you know, where are the best places to meet them at. So, yeah, that makes sense. How can you create a network of people that can help you achieve your goals faster? Because I'm sure that with your previous experience and struggles, you had to get that network going. And every developer that I have spoken so far on the podcast, they always say, you need to build your network. You need to build your network, which sometimes I get some good advices, like just go on Twitter, start DMing people, talking with people and stuff. But there's still always a barrier there. I'm not sure if you have any sort of advice on how to network better or Uh, how to network even (laughs) yeah yeah i mean networking is a very interesting thing i i don't really i'm not even like a huge fan of i say network sometimes but like we should move away from that term it's just like focus on building your community find like the people you know that you want to interact and interact with them so here's the thing growing a network like so will johnson has a great book that can actually help you get started and kind of figure out you know how twitter works you know the ideas behind networking and one thing that he says which i agree with 100 percent too which is like focus on engaging over engagement when you start out just meaning like when you first sign up to twitter or if you've been on there for a while you know but uh haven't gained a following when you tweet something no matter how good it is you could be tweeting like really awesome things unfortunately the way that twitter works because they want people to stare they want people to doom scroll right so they're going to surface content through this algorithm that's based on followers and interactions and all this other garbage your tweets aren't going to show up for many people even if they're following you there's so much other crap that's going to go into their timeline before yours does because of twitter so find people who are in the community who you like who you respect who have a decent following and engage with them because that's going to show up for everyone, you know? And now I'm warning, I'm not saying go reply guy all over people's timelines. Like I always have to, you know, mark this, right. I'm not saying go offer unsolicited advice, but just like saying, Hey, or like, that's cool. Or like just opening the door to conversations, ask questions, you know, or yeah. Like if you see someone, asking a question or for help, then that's a great time to offer some, some help. And I think, you know, it's just about trying to grow it as organically as you can, because 
unless they're driven by money, like companies have referral programs where, you know, they're trying to get buku bucks for like getting you to come work with them. In most cases, there's going to be a lot of trust involved in somebody making a referral for you. And the best way to get jobs is through referrals, but it is not also the only way. You have other options. When I was first starting out, I would just, I created three different versions of my resume, one for kind of each type of role in which I thought I could find myself in. And then I created a couple generic cover letters around each one of those type of roles that I might find myself in. And I would apply to 50 places to a hundred places within a month. And it's like a numbers game and, you know, and it was very exhausting. And I'm like, that's on the borderline of hustle porn. So like, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but you can also blanket. I was like, you know, uh, if you go on monster.com, there's a lot of web development jobs and yeah, you know, you want to be careful. You don't end up at some place that is, you know, just like a developer mill and a complete toxic environment, but there are companies who like have decent, you know, engineering teams that still use monster uh, and stuff like that. And it makes it very easy to apply because you upload a couple of your resumes. You can pick which one you attach. You can attach a cover letter that you've copy and pasted in. You can manage all of them through their UI. You can use something like Airtable or Trello or another Kanban type board GitHub issues even, you know, to track these jobs and where you are at with them so that it doesn't become unmanageable. And, you know, there's just like a lot of things that you can do, but landing your first couple jobs, it's, it's going to be very hard. It's going to take a lot of time. But it has the ability to change your life. So it definitely changed mine. I saw my ceiling as something way different than this. You know, I can't believe that I do what I do for the day. I can't believe I'm sitting here right now having this conversation with you. This was not something that I would have seen uh, in my life a long time ago. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, a Google Sheet. Exactly. Like anywhere, anywhere. (laughs) And, you know, and it's just like, it's a, you know, it's hard and, I, and it sucks, but yeah. I think if someone needs proof that it's possible to break into tech, you just need to see your story and yeah. that's it. Sorry, real quick, but I don't that's think right. that's accurate. I am a cis white male in my mid thirties. I am like the poster child of the tech world. There's a lot of bias that goes into me being where I am today. There's a lot of other people who I know who got out around the same time I am or on the same path, and they're meeting a lot of other struggles. Uh, It gets Mm -hmm. exponentially harder the less amount of privilege that you happen to be exposed to or have, right? So, because that also gets close to like the inspo porn, which is, you know, everyone's path is going to be really freaking different into tech. And some of y'all out there are going to face a lot more struggles than I did. Yes, it was hard, but you take someone who's like black or Hispanic or, and you put them in my background and their journey into tech is not going to look like mine. So I just want to, you know, that that is a very good point. Yes, that is a very good point. And uh, I didn't really mention in that sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just sometimes when people say, no, this is impossible. I can't do it because I don't have a CS degree. A degree is a degree. It's a piece of paper. Uh, And I keep saying that, um, Piece of paper, universities are meant for you to know the right people that can open your doors. Unless you want to be a doctor, lawyer, and all these professions that you require that piece of paper, a lot of times it's for you to know the right people and start that network 
that you need to yeah. get. Yeah, but, I think yeah. <laughs> I think growing your network is one of these things. It shouldn't be like a short-term goal. It shouldn't be like a task on your list, grow my network, something you mm -hmm. can check off. That's something that is forever growing and should be expanding because it's just like, you know, you want as big a view of the world as you can get anyway. So you might as well as just try to interact and build relationships with a lot of folks. No time like the present. Everybody's at home. So it's a great time to, Definitely. to you know, try to reach out and build some, build some relationships. And that's, I want to focus on that, which is like, a lot of times a network tends to have a self-focused connotation, whereas a relationship is bi-directional. And like a true network, you are also helping other people who are in your network. So keep that in mind as well, too. You know, this would be something where you all help each other grow. And this is also going back to what we said earlier on, is trying to help other people. That's the best way for you to grow your network and try to lift up people around you. When you keep doing that without expecting others to get something back to you, just do it because you want the other person mm -hmm. to achieve and be the best they can, yeah. then you start getting other folks drawn to you because of that. So yeah, yeah it's the, the whole, uh, don't think what you can get, just give. <laughs> yeah. And something else that I wish I had learned to, yeah, exactly, is making friends instead of getting something from someone, 100%. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a couple other things, too, that I think help people starting out, too. One, learning in public. Learning in public is an invaluable tool to growing your network. And like how I was talking about engaging with others, this is on the flip side, it, creating tweets, you know, blog posts, notes, whatever, videos, anything, but just do it in public. Because one thing that I did notice myself and my own social media presence, especially with Twitter, was I adopted GraphQL pretty early. It was still pretty young. And when these technologies come out that people tend to like clip onto, you end up, if you have been creating content about that, it was like my first experience kind of learning in public. Although I was still doing it for a job, I was at Major League Soccer, but by creating this content around GraphQL, there wasn't any. So when people Googled these things, my name popped up you know, and then they just started following me. So when I started writing about GraphQL, I went from like 300 or 400 followers on Twitter to a couple thousand pretty quickly. So by learning in public, if you're learning about a certain technology that becomes something that people start to find invaluable or becomes like, you know, the next big tech topic. And I was just like experimenting with it at the time. And then, yeah, you, you might end up growing a network through that means and you get to share information with people, which is really cool. I love that because I keep saying to folks that just create a blog. It doesn't need to be pretty. It doesn't need to be anything. Just put out what you've been learning. What did you struggle? Because if you are starting to learn, let's say Python, I started with Python. If I want to go and speak about Python basics, for me, it makes sense. But for someone that is starting now, things don't make sense when you're starting. So they have a better perspective. They have that beginner's perspective that can be invaluable to someone that is on the same level as you. And this is one thing that I love with Party Corgi is that everybody's like, yes, just put it in writing, create videos, create content, just put it out there because people will find that valuable. <laughs> yeah. 
Which which actually brings me to another point that I wanted to discuss, which is that will make all of this a lot easier for you is try to find yourself a support system, a community, right? And like when we look at Party Corgi, it's hard to put yourself out there when we talk about learning in public and stuff. I know at least it was for me. I had a very hard time like just even tweeting, I would, the amount of anxiety I would get from having an opinion about a, a tech thing would just blow me away. Like I viewed blog posts as these, you know, polished gems that had to be like, you know, like a thesis, right? Like indisputable. Like I'm going to prove this. I'm going to sit down in front of like a panel of, of, you know, doctors and like argue yep. with them about <laughs> the validity of my assessments. Right. But that it's not what it's like, but it feels like that. Uh, and actually at times it can be like that. Like I, years ago, it's gone. Now I deleted the whole account, but I did a couple of YouTube videos and I, I didn't, the comments were just horrendous, really hurtful things people say in there. And it's just, you know, I stopped for a while, but yeah, having that network, having the support to lean on folks who have been there, who can help kind of guide you uh, along that process and, and boost you up and celebrate what you do when you, you when you work up the uh, ability to create content and release it to the world. I, you know, it's invaluable, at least for me, I'm pretty introverted and I get like real weird about, you know, uh, self-esteem issues and all that fun stuff, depression, and all that. But for me, like having a support system like that, full of people who are like, yo, you're, you're, you're awesome. We, you know, thanks for creating this. It was so helpful to me. Or just like people are like, oh, you should, you should write about that or something like that. Like fuels me all the time. 90% of the content that I've actually been able to create has been because someone has been like, you should write about that. Even that GraphQL stuff I was talking mm -hmm. about, they were like, yo, no one's really like using it at this level in production right now. Not a lot of people have written about it. You should write about that. And I did, and I got a bunch, bunch bigger network because of it. I guess the next step is going to be writing a book about GraphQL. Well, <laughs> never writing a book. <laughs> uh, so here, here, here's a fun story. I, I, okay. I was writing a book mm -hmm. about GraphQL. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I, by the time I had my outline figured out and like w what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go, things had already changed. And I was like, oh. Jesus, Pete. So then I went back and redid it and I got through chapters like one and two mostly. And I was about ready to start chapter three. And then other things changed and my viewpoint changed on what should happen. And it's like, I, I just don't have the, I don't know what the word is there. I guess the focus or like the thing to like, say, this is going to stay like, this is relevant enough for this book and I'm not going to touch it again. I couldn't do it. I, there's very valuable ones. Eve Purcello, Alex Banks did an amazing job with learning GraphQL. And that was the other thing. Once that came out, like, I just recommend that book. I'm not going to write yeah. a book on GraphQL because <laughs> when it comes to learning GraphQL, that's the book that I recommend. Yeah, tech books age just about as well as your CS degree. I was oh going to say God. that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's your, uh, I feel you. Yeah, never could write a book like about AWS. Like one, too big. Like you got to mm. try to figure out like what it's going to be focused on. But then as you do, other things start to leak in. Like, you know, the scope of it starts to grow. It's just not for me, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, really, but I will say this, like writing a book is also a good way to help build your network. So don't completely mm. knock it off. You don't make a lot of money. To me, book writing in the tech world, here's fun fact, folks, like the royalties that you get, it's pretty low unless you sell like lots and lots of copies. It's more about having your name on a book than it is about 
making money, you will generate some side income from it, but you know, generally it's not like enough unless you're going to go into that full time, like constantly producing books to, to like do for a career, but it is a really good booster for your resume and, and your network stuff. But so don't write it off and it's for different, different strokes for different folks. I personally don't enjoy that. I'm also not a big writer. Like if you notice, I don't write a lot of blog posts or, or stuff like that often. I'm apparently much more comfortable on video. So that's what I do, right? I, I focus uh, mostly on that. I think that's why the whole digital gardening idea is yeah. quite brilliant. You don't have to have a polished stuff. And like you said, yeah. like this master thesis of blog posts where this is my views. It's just like, hey, I learned this thing. That's it. Then if yeah. you want to expand more, expand more. Otherwise, just leave it as it is. And then- exactly. You, on your website, you do quite a cool thing. So you don't have just blog posts. You have then your uh, recordings, your past streams and all the yep. content together, which a lot of times I see the digital guarding is all about the posts or the little notes that you write. Let's let's call them that. And I think it's quite important because like you said, you feel more comfortable on video. So someone will probably spend more time and enjoy more watching a video than reading uh, an article. Probably they can stop they can come back see what you said so yeah 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 and i and, and i like what you said about like digital gardens and so you know for anyone who's not familiar with that term maybe it's like the idea that um written content that you release doesn't have to be full grown blossomed and perfect and beautiful before you put it out into the world you could start with an idea and like put that into the world and that content can grow over time, maybe as your understanding does or as you get the time to to update it, right? And like uh, it can be something that people can come back to and enjoy. I have like three or four blog posts out right now on my site that are probably a paragraph or two, maybe a little bit more longer and they're out there in the world. But the cool thing is that now that they're out there, I'm always thinking about like, oh, I should go back and add to them a little bit. And because I update them like a little bit at a time, they turn into full posts way before they would ever, like they would just sit there and, and it would become something that is like an, a bigger task that I'll never finish and boom. So my release cadence is way higher by adopting the digital garden philosophy. And so then a lot of people also kind of confuse. I like to talk about the difference between publish and publishing and promoting. So mm -hmm. like you can publish content to your blog at any time. And yeah, if you have an RSS feed, right, people are going to get notified that you've released like a note or some other thing. Yeah. And I think that's fine. If they're signed up to your RSS feed, they're kind of pretty concerned about what you post. And exactly. that's the kind of people you want to look at things early on, in my opinion. But that's just published. Yeah, it's discoverable. But until you take the effort of promoting it, right? Like it's 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 fine. It's just out there for the world. Once it's polished, once you feel like it's at a point that, oh crap, I'm onto something. I want to share this. Or maybe somebody talks about something that like, you know, you reference. And now it's time to promote, right? And by separating the two, publish from promotion also has helped me a lot in uh, pushing things out a lot faster. You know, I'm doing this book club with uh, Egghead folks, and it's a, a book called Taking Smart Notes or Smart Notes, which is um, a little bit interesting and a little bit odd. So this, um, this guy created this method using a shoebox, and when he was reading a book, he used to have a pen and paper next to him, and you write notes and reference notes, and then he created this whole fleeting notes, permanent notes, but he said that you put your notes 
when you have something that you yeah happy and it could be publishable. So now taking back that into that the whole digital gardening, it's yeah. similar to that. You have a place where yeah. you keep all your notes, and then when you start working on that specific article or thing that you want to write about, then you come to a stage where this looks pretty damn good. So then when that looks damn good, then you can just release it and promote yeah. it. It's like you just said. So yeah, I'm always trying to find ways to use that method because yeah, it's what we've been talking about lately. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, it's just like, it's just anything that's going to help with my anxiety, right? Like at the mm. end of the day, I'm an anxious person, very. And uh, anything that anything that removes and also comes back to clearing pathways, big surprise is what I love to do for <laughs> a living. Anything that's going to clear the pathway between me creating something and it getting onto the internet, right? Like that's the end goal. Remove as much friction as possible from the process. Yeah, you know, it's just get it out there. And also by removing friction, it helps because I'm less prone to not do it because I don't have like the dedicated time to see something through that's like a bigger ordeal. Like I only have 20 minutes now. That's enough for me to jot down two or three paragraphs, maybe run them through Grammarly real quick <laughs> and shoot them onto the internet, you know? But then I can come back to it and iterate on it when I have smaller chunks of time because I just don't have, my schedule does not count for like large chunks of time to deep work. Most of those get reserved for things I'm doing for Apollo, you know? And uh, yeah, so it just helps me uh, produce my own content so that it's not just purely a stuff so now that you say that how does your day look like Man, that's a Pandora's <laughs> box right there yeah what does my day look like yeah well I'm newly into I'm like head of DevRel at Apollo or developer relations manager I think is my title so my day-to-day -day has started to shift right now because I've moved into this role a lot of my time has been focused on what does developer relations look like at Apollo over the next year what does the team ideally look like over the next few years? So I've been focusing a lot on that. Like what are the different initiatives that I would like to do? You know, we would love for our team to do over the next uh, good little while. So I've been doing that. But aside from that, my my day-to-day -day involves, it's not like a set thing, but let's say I spend a lot of my time interacting with the community to source information about a couple things. One is like problems that the community is facing. I'm always trying to figure out like what are the biggest current issues in the Apollo ecosystem that people are facing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time gets dedicated to that. A lot of time gets dedicated to figuring out what streams we'll be doing. So I pretty much manage like the stream schedule uh, at Apollo. So I work with the product teams, the open source team, and then the community at large, like just, you know, other folks to figure out like what we're going to have on the stream and get that lined up. I'm working on something called the Apollo Champions program, which is basically us being able to identify who is in the community understand the ways in which they're engaging with us and reward them for said engagement. So that's like the, the main gist of the program, but also to uplift the community by being able to know who these people are, to offer them speaking opportunities or like content creation opportunities or like other things involved. Is that similar to the Twilio Champions program? I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be similar to any type of, of community program mm -hmm. at any 
other company because a lot of people are doing a lot of really awesome things in the Apollo ecosystem. And right now I don't have a way to acknowledge them as I would like to or reward them. We would like to at the company. So that's like a big part of what I'm working on. So a lot of time goes into like what that looks like. But again, a lot of my time has been spent writing documents uh, as of late and I'm not a big, a big writing fan, but yeah, that's what it's been. But dev advocacy, my day to day looks like this. I think it's better to just say like kind of how I tackle my work because the day to day changes so drastically from even week to month that it doesn't make sense to like tell you what I do today. And, and so what it is, is like, I think you can be really successful as a dev advocate if you focus on a couple things. So number one is we kind of have a mission and our mission is build community, tell the Apollo story and help developers be successful, right? So like everything that we do should in some way align with one of these goals. So that's what we do. We then take the product roadmap of what's coming up, what's happening in open source, what information the community needs, all of these things. And with our North Star of our mission and what we're trying to do for Apollo, we have to figure out what is the best way to spend our time doing that. We invest a lot in written content through the bog and, and streaming content, but there's the Apollo Champions program. We're working on like a community discord and like all these other things. There's, there's like a whole lot of other stuff that we work at, but those initiatives will change. And when they change, my day-to-day -day will change directly. Like right now, we're doing a lot of work sourcing speakers and panelists for some upcoming events, but hopefully we'll be hiring a community manager in the next coming months. And then I won't be doing that anymore. They will. And then my day-to-day -day will switch to something else or we'll complete an initiative. And then that day-to-day -day will change. But at the end of the day, if you're doing dev advocacy, you want to be clearing pathways for developers, whatever it takes in that middle road, updates to documentation, creating video content, creating blog posts, connecting a community member with another community member who's already experienced this problem and has a solution or empowering community members to create content to do this kind of stuff, right? It's, it doesn't matter what it is. And that's why I dislike hearing like, oh, become a developer advocate, travel the world and do talks. And, shit. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, cool. Doing talks is awesome and that can be part of it, but that's part of it. And then I also, I used to say, Developer advocacy is about being an advocate for the community to your product teams. And like, yeah, that's also part of it, but that's not the whole story. That is one of the ways you're going to clear pathways is by having an effect on the product roadmap, but you can have an effect in a million other ways. You might teach somebody, let's take Twilio, for example, you as a dev advocate for Twilio, you might work with a content creator who's creating a course on Twilio. Mm -hmm. So that this goes back to remember telling the story, telling the story of the company, you are making sure that the content they create is going to have best practices. You're giving them free access to like the core team and generally other stuff to figure out how to do that. And now that person is going to create content that's going to be viewed by thousands and thousands and thousands of Twilio users, right? So it's like you have to figure out what's the best way to do these things. But at the end of the day, it's about helping developers be successful. And that's it. That's to me and actually don't at me like that's what i think it is and i'm not i'm not up up for debate about it yeah yeah it's always interesting to us because our job well i say our but i'm not a developer yet but uh, a developer's job every day is a little bit different you might be working on a particular thing and then the next week you yeah. work on a different thing so every day is different so yeah <laughs> did you just say you're not a developer well i'm not a 
how how would, not, how should I say that? I'm not you're, a you're, employed developer, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you could be employed in another field. Let's put it this way: yeah. you're not paid to write code right now. You're not paid yes. to develop, right? Now, in my yeah. eyes, the second that you write a program and tell a computer device or any other thing to do absolutely fucking anything from <laughs> some sort of written thing, you're a developer. Like, I don't know what other thing you need. But yeah, that makes you, once you start programming, you're a programmer. Once you start developing, you're a developer. Like, that's another thing that I think, What what is the bar? Like, am I not a filmmaker if I don't, if I make a lot of films, but I don't do it for Hollywood, right? Like, is that like, you know what I mean? Like, yep. Ugh. I think it was actually you that tweeted about that a few months ago. The, the whole, you don't have to be employed to become a developer or you don't have to get a job to say that, oh, I can be a software engineer. It's a, it's a title and sometimes we just get too attached to our title. titles. Yep. <laughs> it's a job title. Like people don't be walking around like, uh, I'm a fucking asphalt layer. I'm a level three, you know, carpenter. Like it's a job title. You're so much more than that. Development is just something you can do, but like you're a person. Don't let tech consume you. I did that for a few years. I completely defined myself by how good of a developer I was or if I was like employed as a developer. I let it let it uh, really mess me up there for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, you're so much more than that. People will treat you like how you view yourself, you know? And mm -hmm. if you're you calling yourself not a developer, then people aren't going to see you as a developer. Like, you are a developer. Yeah. You write code. You make computers do things, and it's awesome. Like this, <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's wild. And, it, you know, and, and honestly, still, not a lot of people can do that. And it doesn't matter if you're paid to do it. It's a very valuable and impressive skill to have. Sior. Yeah. Sior, yeah, yeah. It's what uh, she was saying that she started taking herself more serious. On, uh, she started calling herself a um, software engineer. And I see that sometimes when folks are trying to apply for a job, if they have that software engineer title, they get asked for interviews more often than if you just say that you're a developer. And it's just the same thing. It's the same thing unless you are from a country like me in Portugal that you are not allowed. It's like legally not allowed for you to call an engineer if you're not part of the engineer's bar. So you need to have an engineering degree and you have to do a test. That's interesting. But yeah. in UK, that's not the case. You can become a software engineer if you do software engineer stuff and you get paid to do stuff with that. Yeah. So if you're not from a country that you can't legally call you an engineer because you're not part of a big boys club or something like that, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. I see where you're getting on. <laughs> and it's another thing that's yeah. just start making me think about it. And it does make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a mindset thing. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to, how you define yourself. We're the only ones who can define ourselves. And so we damn well better, you know, define ourselves well. Right. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I don't like getting caught up on titles and it's like, it's interesting. Like my job is I'm a developer advocate. I am not a developer advocate advocate that is not like a thing 
right? Like that's mm-hmm. like that you can one can can be, I guess, right? It's just your job title. Yeah, and uh, and that takes a while to like get that separation, you know. I think when I get in roles that I really enjoy, it's so, like I was a tech lead at, at Major League Soccer, um, and again, I really enjoyed that role, much like I enjoy management or or dev advocacy because it's about clearing pathways for people. Like management is about clearing pathways for your mm-hmm. team. Team lead is about clearing pathways for your team, right? So it's like I tend to to really enjoy these roles at CMC. But long story short is that I kind of like did for a while like identify myself like as a tech lead, you know, like, oh, I'm a tech lead, you know. <laughs> but it's like, no, nah, you're just like Kurt and your role is tech lead. I have felt that, and that was another thing. I used to have my Twitter was like very serious and like technical and like that was it, you know, but like I'm a whole ass person. Uh, and as such, <laughs> that's what you get now is the whole ass person. So, Which makes you feel more human and makes people oh, draw to you because it's like, oh yeah, this is not just a suit, air quotes, um, and they don't have any personality. You have your personality, so you should just leverage that. And yeah. uh, like yeah, Kyle said, at the end of the day, we're all people and uh, we can learn everything from everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like funny. And I think the problem is, I think it spans the globe, but it's like really bad in America. Like in America, it's very common to like meet someone and then just immediately be like, what do you do for a living? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like weird. It's like very like job focused about things. Like I'd rather ask someone about like my interests. Like, why do you want to know what I do for a living? <laughs> You want to hear about like me like trying to debug some like fucking missing semicolon from a JavaScript <laughs> file or something? Like, why do you care? You know? Yeah. Like, oh, now I know I, what you do for a living. We're friends. Sorry. All right. There. That's all right. I I think I just have maybe I'm completely wrong on this uh, perspective, but I think in US you have this hustle mentality where your job is what defines you. What's comparing yeah, maybe to that's UK. What I mean. Sure, if you work in maybe a teacher, finance and all these prestige works, people don't really care that much. I think in UK, people care more about the weather than what you do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, it's yeah. been my experience in a lot of other places in the world that no one gives a shit what your job is. And I love it. Yeah. I'm all about that. Yeah. Talk to me about fun things like photography, CrossFit. Mm-hmm. You know, I could talk to your brain out about crossfit <laughs> we could just redo another one of these and i'll just talk about it for sure. an hour and a half <laughs> right yeah exactly but like that's the point is like you know i i don't know i like i'm not a big fan of talking about my work and i think the difference too is like i used to be a lot more passionate about coding than i am now and i think it's fine to talk about things that you're passionate about but like i just hate the harping on like work like if mm-hmm. you want to tell me about development because you're just like super enthused I'm all for it. And that's not what I'm trying to like get at. I just wish we would get away from the stigma of people are their jobs and like that defines their worth or their their knowledge or like Kyle said, right? Or like you can learn from anyone, like junior and senior, right? Like this whole freaking dynamic that needs to just go right into trash. And this is another reason why I wanted to start this podcast so the whole idea started in a party corgi actually when robert tables was saying about um, yeah (laughs) Uh, was uh, was telling about his story when he uh, used to drive trucks and i was like man that's so interesting and i started toying with the idea of like so what sort of path other developers took to be where they are now yeah and i just like to learn about people and i thought you know what if I find this interesting. 
I'm sure some other people might find it interesting as well. So I might as well just put it out yeah. there. <laughs> so absolutely. <yeah. laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I want to see like eventually in a, like in a few years, there's going to be like the six degrees of party corgi network, like kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like every every like thing that content is created, you can like yep. relate back to party corgi network within like six connections. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what you said is having that community that empowers you and just 100%. makes you want to do more because you know i was or i'm still part of this makers community but a makers community sometimes can be really 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 toxic, toxic aggro yes. yeah it's like <laughs> my product is the best thing everything else is crap i mean if you go yeah. to hacker news sometimes it, it, the I comments are tough <laughs> hacker news reddit all those places i avoid them yeah. Like a pandemic. Hey. Uh -huh. <laughs> We've been going for a while and I appreciate your time to share your story and share your views and your journey and everything. If folks want to get in contact with you, ask about anything about Apollo, GraphQL, your story, what is the best place to do it? Subscribe to my Patreon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I think you've got it like uh, just blade below mm -hmm. so just yep. like here folks <laughs> this is where you can find me yeah you can find me there it's the best easiest way to reach me yeah and i love to talk to you i love to talk to people i'm actually an introverted extrovert so i can talk to you because we're through the internet pretty easily that's not a mm -hmm. problem if we were a group of people and i did not know you and we were at an event i would never speak to you i'd be like right out the door <laughs> you so, know yeah but yeah I don't want to take much of your time, but that's very interesting because I'm a flight attendant, right? I can be at the front of the plane and grab the interphone and talk for everybody. But it's yeah. sort of like when you're doing a talk, you're not really looking at the faces. You're just looking at nothing and it's fine. But if um, yeah. if I'm together in a group, I'm exactly the same. My my wife, she's a teacher and she she has a colleague that every December gets us together to do like a... Christmas kind of meal and people talk, share drinks yeah. and stuff. And the first like three years, I was just staying like a, a board, you <laughs> know, like just statue. <laughs> looking at everybody. It's like, I feel awkward yeah. as hell. Yeah. <laughs> Say, saying phrases at all the wrong times. Just yep. Like, awkward. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's a real struggle for me. And like as a dev advocate, that's something that I've had to balance a lot. But luckily, my my want to help people succeed outweighs my want to be alone. So yeah, just, that helps. Works out. Yeah. You just need to take lot. time to recover after every that's interaction. It. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Just go go recharge my batteries. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But this has been awesome. Thank you Perfect. so much you. for uh, having me on. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to to us. Yeah. I think we need to do another episode about uh, CrossFit. Oh, I'd love to. Okay, <laughs> I have okay, to say, sorry. I don't know much about CrossFit. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> Give me an hour. You'll know. know way more than you wanted to. That's for sure. But also thank you to everyone in, in chat for coming here and uh, listening to my story. I appreciate you all so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you have a good day. Cool. See you. See you later, everyone. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you liked it. You can find information about what we talked, read the transcript on landingintech.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at landingintech and join the Discord chat. 
Whenever I'm about to go live with a guest, I tweet about it so you can join us on Twitch and ask questions. Have a great day.